This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We had a whole bunch of news stories in the first segment of the show, but there is so much happening in the world that we need some more insight on even more stories. So let's bring in Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. So, Michelle, solidarity protests with people in Iran were held across Canada over the weekend. I know there's a political angle to get into here in a moment, but let's start with the demonstrations themselves. What was the scale and what was the key message? Sure. So uh, I'm sure a lot of you are aware that there have been a huge, there's been a tremendous amount of unrest in Iran over the past six weeks since the death of Masa Amini in mid-September. What happened here in Canada over the weekend was a, quote, human chain protest, which basically just meant cities across Canada, 10 of them, plus a number all around the world, were joining in in solidarity with the protest movement in Iran that are demanding the overthrow of the theocratic government out there, uh, calling for rights for women, uh, a lot of Masa Amini uh, name chanting and and shows of solidarity for her. And here in Canada, of course, it was all organized by a group that has uh, a lot to say about the regime in Iran with very personal reasons behind them. These are the, the families of those who were killed in the crash of, do you remember PS Flight 752? That would be Ukrainian the, Airlines, yeah. Exactly. That would be the airliner that was shot down by the Iranian government in Iran. Uh, There was a huge Canadian connection with that flight. There were at least 55 Canadian citizens, a number of others who were not necessarily citizens, but who had really strong ties here. They were maybe studying here. They had partners here. A lot of them were bound for Canada. So um, those families have gotten quite vocal in in recent years about calling for, for retribution for Iran for their actions. And certainly uh, they wanted to show their solidarity for the protests and for the social unrest that are happening there and calls for reform. So here comes the political angle. There's been a high profile open letter being signed. What is the letter calling for and who signed it? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one. Uh, A a letter came out yesterday, published in the New York Times, and it was signed by a really honestly fierce uh, cadre of women all around the world. In, the Canadian connections included Christy Freeland, Melanie Jolie, the foreign affairs minister, um, Nazareth Afshinjan, who's, who's a pretty well-known human rights activist, and she's the wife of, of Peter McKay. Kim Campbell, the former prime minister, also signed. Those are the Canadians. Uh, they were calling for Iran's removal from a UN committee on the status of women, uh, which they recently joined a few years ago. Um the Canadian women and a number of others around the world, and we're talking some big names like Oprah, Michelle Obama, Malala, um, Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand, so some seriously powerful ladies, are all essentially decrying the fact that Iran is even included on this committee and calling for the UN uh, to remove them immediately. Uh, the other political dimension here, of course, is that during those protests that were taking place on Saturday, there were a number of calls to sever ties with Iran diplomatically and whatnot. And in a total surprise move, we only got a couple hours notice of it ourselves, uh, Justin Trudeau joined in the human chain protest in Ottawa. 
Yeah, and he uh, he called for significant, more significant sanctions as well, that the government was going to be announcing some of that, although some of that's unclear as to precisely what he was calling for. There was actually a sound, yeah. there was actually a sound clip that was gathered that I actually don't want to play because it actually sounded a little bit fear-mongering and fear-baiting that we're going to track down those people in Canada who were part of the regime. Made me a little uncomfortable. Fair enough, yeah. Um, and, and yet there are still, uh, there are critiques leveled at this government for not doing what they perceive as enough to yeah. sever ties with Iran and condemn their actions over PS752. So mm-hmm. it is a very uh, an interesting issue and it's gotten thornier and more pressing in light of all the upheaval that's going on in Iran because yeah. it's very significant. We're talking about hundreds of people killed in six weeks of protests, mm-hmm. thousands of arrests, major crackdowns. Uh, it, it's It's pretty volatile and pretty ugly over there right now. Michelle, let's come a little closer to home here in Ontario, where there's been labor strife brewing in the province with education support workers and a possible strike. And this has been developing for weeks. And I know there was a major development late yesterday. But what is the status (laughs) of a possible strike? Well, uh, funny you should ask, because we really don't know at this moment. The temperature got turned up in a big, big way yesterday. The cold notes version is that the union representing the province's education workers, we're not talking teachers, it's important to distinguish this, we're talking about, you know, educational assistants, early childhood educators, custodians, uh, the support staff, essentially. Um, they gave a five-day strike notice yesterday, indicating that they could, they would be going on strike province-wide, full withdrawal of services as of Friday. Enter the provincial government, who announced pretty late last night that they were going to try to preempt that strike by introducing some legislation that would stop it from even happening in the first place. The union behind this, CUPE, uh, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, has indicated they intend to fight this legislation hard. I'm not entirely sure how, if that can be accomplished in light of the fact that it's a pretty strong majority government at the moment. Uh, So in terms of the status of the strike, that's very much up in the air at the moment, but I I do suspect that the legislation will manage to go through and preempt the strike. That does not, however, mean that the fight is over. Mm -hmm. Uh, This kind of thing has happened before. And in the past, in fact, there were there were some court reparations granted when a government introduced legislation that uh, shut down collective bargaining effectively. And I suspect that the legislation that might be tabled today, which is the plan, might potentially go even further. So I'll be curious to see how they intend to navigate that. But right now, there's a lot of open questions around uh, what's going to be happening with schools in this province at the end of the week. And let's finish on more of a national story. We got a report about secrecy at the RCMP and how the force should handle sensitive information. Michelle, this one can get pretty deep into the woods pretty quickly, but what's at issue in this report? Yeah, so the very high level, I'll try to keep it as, as simple as I can. My colleague Jim Bronskill managed to churn out a, a thousand words on this because it's that complex and, and, and in the weeds, as you say. But basically, there, th- this report was commissioned after a very senior RCMP employee, Cameron Ortis, you probably heard the name in the news, some, was arrested for a number of alleged security breaches that have not been tested in court. But this was a review ordered by the commissioner of the security culture at the RCMP. And it has taken a very long time for us to get our hands on it. But the findings that came out, even from the portions of the report that were released to us, a lot of it was redacted, indicate that there's major security gaps. And the the review is calling for a total overhaul of the security culture, even up to the highest levels. Uh, it's a very quick example of just some of the alleged breaches or, or gaps that this review found. 
They're saying that security awareness training was not mandatory at the RCMP, and the training that did exist was out of date. That's mm. kind of bananas for a national police force. Um, it found that there was, quote, a pervasive attitude that security restrictions that security restrictions were something that needed to be worked around to get the job done. Uh, apparently, there was a lack of standards on information technology, including portable storage devices, so no mm -hmm. IT policies mm -hmm. around that kind of thing. Uh, there was a sense that employees were reluctant to report security incidents because they were afraid of consequences to themselves or their colleagues. So pretty fundamental gaps in, in security there. And there were 43 recommendations tabled in this report. A lot of them are, are fairly technical, but essentially it's calling for very significant uh, overhaul to yeah. the, the whole culture of security at that force. Considering how much sensitive information would be held in those hallways and in those computers and in those databases, you definitely want to be careful. And it's not uncommon to see these reviews of major institutions. There was just one done in Manitoba by the Auditor General in regards to their health institution that said there were a lot of important files that weren't even password protected, that anybody could just walk in and grab files from shared computers. Yeah, it's very similar, and and it really makes you realize how how many assumptions are in place at the public level as to what the security practices at supposedly confidential organizations are supposed to be like. Uh, another one that kind of raises the eyebrows is that apparently uh, clearance, security clearance, is being given almost at random when people didn't really need it. Mm -hmm. uh, something mm -hmm. again, you you assume that when someone has top secret clearance that they've gone through this whole process and they've earned it, and and there's been a whole vetting apparatus in place. Not so, according to this review. So it's it's interesting. Michelle, thank you for this. Always great catching up. Have a nice week, and we'll talk to you on Friday for the news panel. Sounds great. Have a good week, everybody. That's Michelle McQuig, the weekend news editor with the Canadian Press. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.